What is going on, movie lovers? Welcome back to another edition of No Content for Old Men. This is the podcast where every week I give you reviews of the latest movies and some streaming suggestions for your weekend. As always, I'm your host, Matt Craig. Thank you so much for listening. And this week, we're talking about 10 movies that you need to watch on Netflix. It's a slow week at the box office, so I thought it was time to revive a feature I used to do a lot more in my newsletter and on this podcast which is a comprehensive guide to a particular streaming service. Netflix was the obvious choice since it remains the most ubiquitous, but its movie library is far from the best of the bunch. Also, notice how I don't say the best movies on Netflix, because really, what's the utility in suggesting obvious choices like, I don't know, The Departed, Bridesmaids, or Ferris Bueller's Day Off? If you haven't watched those movies, I'm assuming, A, you know you don't want to see them, or B, you don't care enough about the movies to be reading this news, reading my newsletter and listening to this podcast anyway. And really, those two categories appear to be Netflix's target audience. The movie library has become heavily concentrated on familiar favorites and then low-budget Hallmark style, or low-budget bleh, I'll say, particularly in a few key genres like the Hallmark style rom-coms, prestige Oscar plays, trashy action movies, and true crime documentaries. As I see it, the need for quality, non-obvious suggestions has never been higher. So I've organized these movies into specific categories, and for each I've given a couple of suggestions, in some cases a lot of suggestions. So really you're walking away with more than 50 movies to watch, ranging from at minimum very good all the way up to truly spectacular. So without further ado, let's jump in. All right, first up is Tick, Tick, Boom. The most obvious place to start is with Netflix's prestige category. In pursuit of their elusive first Best Picture win, The Big Red Machine has written blank checks for the world's best directors to make their passion projects. Roma for Alfonso Cuaron, The Irishman for Martin Scorsese, Mank for David Fincher, Marriage Story for Noah Baumbach, Power of the Dog for Jane Campion. And while I think these movies are good, Roma being the only great one, in my opinion, it's fair to say they are all far from the best movies those directors have made. I guess technically you could say the same thing for Lin-Manuel Miranda if we're comparing this featured directorial debut to Broadway smash Hamilton, but when this movie came out, I don't think anyone would have pegged it as Oscar-worthy. It did receive two Oscar nominations. It's a pure musical about the playwright Jonathan Larson in the years before he wrote Rent, struggling with life and love, and turning 30 without having accomplished what he hoped to. The music is great, but even if you aren't normally a music person, a musical person, I'll say, I think you'll find it moving, thanks to a really phenomenal lead performance by Andrew Garfield. Next, I want to talk about the 40-year-old version. Stuffed between the seat cushions of Netflix's $17 billion annual content budget are some small-budget originals, that are never going to find a mass audience, but end up being the best things the service has ever put out. First among them is Okja, an early English language foray from the master Bong Joon-ho, but I've recommended it too many times. I also really love Jake Johnson's performance in the gambling movie Win It All, the claustrophobic tension of Windfall, the pure joy of Hustle, the creativity of High Flying Bird, and the recent sci-fi satire They Clone Tyrone. I'm picking the 40-year-old version because it takes a very familiar style of movie to me, the Woody Allen-esque clever dramedy, and it takes it into a world I know nothing about, namely Harlem, the Bronx, and the rougher side of Brooklyn. 
where a 40-year-old woman decides to become a rapper. The writing is sharp and surprising, with vivid specificity toward place and character and something real to say about racial disparity in this country. All right, third up on our list is Reservoir Dogs. Netflix is the home to plenty classic movies, including a couple of all guests are slightly under the radar, like Leon the Professional and with a teenage Natalie Portman, or Bill Murray's excellent dramatic turn in Lost in Translation, or the timeless classic from Luke, George Lucas, American Graffiti. My classic, my classics pick borders on obvious territory, except I'm always amazed when I talk to people how few have actually seen Quentin Tarantino's directorial debut. And even if elements of this movie, like the slow-mo walk out of the diner and the dancing torture scene, have entered the cultural lexicon, it's a fearless, energetic burst onto the scene for one of... <laughs> for, <laughs> It's a fearless, energetic burst onto the scene for the man who would become one of this century's signature filmmakers. All right, fourth up on the list, number four on the list, is Hunt for the Wilder People. Unless my cultural bias is really showing, it seems like any movie that's outrageously funny almost instantly enters the obvious zone. If you haven't seen any of Groundhog's Day, Bridesmaids, Mean Girls, Ted, Rush Hour, Monty Python and the Holy Grail, or Ferris Bueller's Day Off, start there first. Then, who can resist? John Candy and Uncle Buck, or the dynamite cast of Zombieland, and as far as action comedies go, Kick-Ass did superheroes as well as anyone since. But unless you're a diligent reader of my newsletter or a listener to this podcast, I'm going to assume you probably haven't seen Hunt for the Wilder People, an early effort from Taika Waititi with all his usual trademarks. Silly jokes, joyful fun, and big-hearted sentimentality. It centers on a kid and his foster uncle hiding in the New Zealand wilderness when a national manhunt comes to take him away. There's great chemistry between the two, and the story itself rollicks along at a brisk pace. It's everything you could want in a streaming movie. For number five on Netflix movies you need to watch, Emily the Criminal. As for thrillers, I've gotten in trouble a couple times for recommending Nocturnal Animals, a movie I think is fantastic, but which opens with a scene of a 400-pound-plus woman dancing naked, which tends to throw people off. And similarly, Prisoners is a tense and harrowing ride, but difficult to recommend. And it's it's just hard to sit down and want to throw that on any night for fun. That's why I love Emily the Criminal, one of my favorite movies of last year. Aubrey Plaza goes full Heisenberg mode as a young woman drowning in student debt who starts doing credit card fraud to make money. The social commentary is sharp, but ultimately it's a bag of money story told in the stylish neo-noir style. It's intense but also fun, and I feel great recommending it to anyone. All right, let's keep this party rolling with our sixth movie on the list. It's Creep. My interest in horror, as I told you guys last week, is really just as a vehicle for first-time filmmakers to show off their skills on a low budget. That's why I liked 2020's The Rental on Netflix, which showed Dave Franco's surprisingly deft directing touch. Plus, I fully admit my lack of knowledge in the genre, and to some degree I feel as though people really just fall into two camps. One, horror superfans who have seen everything down to the micro-indies, or two, people who never want to watch horror. So it's hard to make recommendations to either of those groups. 
However, one subgenre that has been a consistent winner for me is the collected works of Mark and Jay Duplass, brothers known for making small budget movies with very inventive premises and excellent execution. This is the Duplass's version of horror, shot like a found footage documentary about a videographer who gets hired to film the last day of a man dying with cancer. Things go from mildly creepy to downright horrifying over the span of just 77 minutes with constant suspense and surprises along the way. If you can't get enough, Netflix also has Creep 2. All right, seventh movie on the list is American Factory. Now, if you throw a proverbial rock anywhere on Netflix, you're bound to hit a true crime documentary, including 2018's The Staircase and Making a Murderer, which kickstarted the whole movement. The celebrity hagiographies on there are also on there, and they're exhausting and mostly uninteresting, with the possible exception of Lady Gaga's Five Foot Two. I challenge you to look beyond, where you can find documentaries that have all the elements of a great narrative fiction. Icarus is maybe one of the best spy movies I've ever seen. The untold sports stories vary in quality, but untold breaking point is so profound I found myself referencing it a dozen times. I chose American Factory because it's an amazing mix of narrative drama and cultural observation. It follows the Chinese takeover of a shuttered factory in Ohio, excuse me, where the local citizens first celebrate the return of local jobs, then clash with the cultural differences of their new colleagues. Few things can explain the world better than immersion, and I feel like I learned more from this than I ever could in a news story or a report. Given our current global climate, this doc really should be required viewing. All right, eighth on the list is Begin Again. Netflix's rom-com cupboard is far from bare, but finding quality proves to be much more challenging. The Netflix original Set It Up gets mentioned in every conversation about modern rom-coms, and it earns it with chemistry between Zoe Deutsch and Glenn Powell. It's complicated, puts Meryl Streep in a love triangle with Alec Baldwin and Steve Martin, which is pretty good, <laughs> and really the movie might be the best thing Nancy Myers has ever done. Still, I'm a total sucker for John Carney's ultra-sappy romances. Here, and beginning again, Mark Ruffalo is a down-on-his-luck record executive who discovers Kira Knightley in a bar and sets out to make her a star. If only she'll ditch her rock star boyfriend, Adam Levine. Around the periphery, you'll find Haley Steinfeld, James Corden, Catherine Keener, and a truly magical portrayal of New York City. I could watch it a hundred times and not get sick of it. Number nine on the list, Hand of God. Netflix has invested in foreign language movies enormously in recent years, and I won't sit here and act like I've kept up with all of them. Last year's All Quiet on the Western Front certainly made a splash, and the absolutely insane RRR was one of India's biggest hits ever in the United States. Both The Raid and The Raid 2 are on Netflix, with some of the best action scenes in any movie ever. But is anyone really surprised my pick is Italian? I mean, come on. E ovvio! <laughs> Paolo Sorrentino's coming-of-age story is gorgeous to look at, set against 1980s Naples and the arrival of Diego Maradona to the local soccer club. It's a story about finding one's place in the world, but with the depth of emotion that's far more mature. It's captivating in the moment and sticks with you for several days afterwards. Lastly, number 10, If Beale Street Could Talk. I'm calling this my duh category because all these movies I've recommended like a billion times. You all know by now that Francis Ha is one of my all-time favorite movies. The Nice Guys is well on its way to joining that list as well. I adore it. And I loved La La Land so much that it made me want to move to Los Angeles. <laughs> if we're to, but still, all that being said, if you were to ask me 
what the number one best movie on Netflix would be, I'd have to say If Beale Street Could Talk. I truly consider it among the best movies of the 21st century. Every aspect of the movie is masterful, from the production design to Barry Jenkins' gorgeous direction to the fantastic acting performances. It's a story about young love, a surprise pregnancy, and a wrongful arrest and imprisonment. And it's beautiful, sentimental, romantic, and also hard-hitting when it needs to be. But above all, the movie produces a level of empathy that I find really, really powerful. All right, guys, that's going to do it for this week's show. I really appreciate you listening. Um, Next week, the releases are similarly, I don't know, pretty bad. (laughs) Strays is uh, the Will Ferrell, like, dog comedy is coming out. Um, I don't know if I'm going to see that, but I might. Blue Beetle is coming out. I'm probably definitely not going to see that. And maybe Voyage of the Demeter, although I skipped that this week, so I don't really see any reason why I would do it two weeks late. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Tell me if you guys enjoyed this uh, streaming guide for one streaming service. Uh, if you want me to do it again next week, I could do it. And if so, let me know what service you want me to hit. If not, yeah, it'll be a grab bag of those new movies. Um, also old boy I saw was showing, which is a movie I think from the end of last year that I just missed. And apparently it's supposed to be awesome. Um, and so, yeah, um, I, yeah, who knows what next Friday will bring, <laughs> but you'll have to come back and, uh, see what I come up with. So until then guys, I guess I'll see you at the movies.